You're listening to What's Up Digital Lending, the podcast that explores the exciting world of digital lending. We make a deep dive into the most important issues and talk to the leading minds of the ecosystem. Welcome, everyone. My guest today in this episode number seven is Dean Hesty. He is a co-founder of Tapline from Berlin in Germany. My name is Konstantin Fabricius, and I am the host of this podcast. Tapline is a young digital lender that started in 2021. It offers companies to trade their future revenues for upfront and non-dilutive cash. We will learn today how this works. Welcome, Dean. Great to have you here in the podcast. Thank you so much, Konstantin. Looking forward to our discussion today. Now pay attention, please. The content of this podcast is expressly not to be considered investment advice, but is intended solely for your information. We do not assume any liability and will not share any profits. This being said, Dean, who are you? What's your professional background? Please tell us a little bit about you. Sure. I'm from Cape Town, South Africa. I spent six years in traditional asset management, working across various asset classes such as equity structures, structured solution, fixed income solutions across institutional and retail clientele. After six years at the investment banking side, I decided to actually take two years off to study an MBA. The first year was in South Africa and the second year actually brought me to Germany to a small town called Reutlingen, just south of Stuttgart, and was supposed to be only in Germany for six months to complete my MBA. And now I'm here eight years later. <laughs> so it's been an interesting journey. Okay. So did you like Reutlingen? Yes, I actually quite enjoyed it. Had a great time. I liked the culture, the people, and this was one of the overarching decisions that I made to, to try and stay in Germany and work here. Yeah. Are you a beer drinker? I know that Reutlingen produces high-quality beer. Yes, this is my first introduction to, to beer in Germany. It was well-received, let me put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, let's talk, uh, let's talk business. What was the mm. reason for founding Tapline? After I finished the studies in Reutlingen, I, had, I moved up to Frankfurt. I had a stint at Comets Bank at the Corporates and Markets Division. Thereafter, I joined a very early stage VC slash venture builder that was invested in early stage startups in sub-Saharan Africa. So we were investing in early stage fintechs, agritechs and SaaS businesses. And not only did we invest in these companies, but we also supported the founders with go-to-market strategies, operational efficiencies. And one key learning and the reason for starting Tapline is that we supported these founders with follow-on fundraising rounds. So we would go discuss with family offices, high net worth individuals who had an appetite to invest in these startups. And this is where we saw one pain point, whereas equity rounds generally took four to six months to actually close. And for high growth startups, this is actually a little bit unfortunate. And so that was the one key learning. The other learning while we were there was that we managed a 3 million euros loan facility from a development bank actually in Europe and where we would deploy in 50k loans to startups in sub-Saharan Africa. But the economic did not work out because there was so much due diligence and KYC, et cetera, that you spend two months underwriting a 50k check when it cost you 30,000 euros in salaries. It was just cumbersome and uneconomical effectively. 
So when COVID impacted the world, my one co-founder, Peter Grove and I, we worked together at the fund. We basically said, how do we actually solve this fundraising pain point for these high growth companies? We have a lot of access to financial data and really build a platform that on the one side allows companies to raise capital quickly. And on the other side, structure investment notes for institutional investors where they can earn yields north of 10% as an example. So this is kind of where the learnings came from in order to start Tapline. Okay. Uh, there is a third founder, right? Yes. Peter Wolf, you have just mentioned. And yes. the third one, where did you meet him? When Peter and I decided to build Tapline, we actually wanted to build it in the German market and we needed access to network investors, etc. We then joined Antler, which is a here based in Berlin in April 2021, which is a three-month accelerator slash venture capital investor. And this is where we met our third co-founder, Dimitri Miller. He is our CTO and product manager and has over 10 years experience in software development and product. We graduated from the Antler program with a small investment in September 2021. And we've been running Tapline since then. Okay, great. Yeah, great story. And how many employees are you guys today? Today we are seven full-time employees and one intern. Okay, great. Yeah, let's look a little bit deeper into Tapline's business model. Could you please elaborate on this extensively? What what exactly is it and what what can I expect when I see Tapline? Yeah, so Tapline is a digital finance platform that allows SaaS companies, specifically B2B and B2C business models, to trade their future revenues for upfront capital. So what does that actually mean? We actually run through our credit platform. We've built an internal credit model where we actually offer a discount on future revenues of the SaaS clients and allows them to get capital in 48 hours to grow their business. So it's equity-free, it's non-dilutive, and it allows these companies to, to capitalize their business in 48 hours to use for marketing spend, as an example, or to increase their sales, as in another example, or recruitment as well. Okay. And by the end of the day, we talk about loans, right? It's a granting of loans, correct? We have devised what is called a RPA, a Receivables Purchase and Assignment Agreement. So it's the payback looks like loans. They are monthly installments over a six or 12 month basis, which are equal monthly installments. However, the governing contract is the, actually the purchase of receivables of these end clients of the B2B of these SaaS clients effectively. Okay. Okay. And What does a typical company seeking for financing look like? I've seen on your website that you encompass a very specific part of the company, German journey. So could you please elaborate on this a little bit more? Some of the use cases that we have seen in the market is that the SaaS clients would like to increase their revenues before the next equity round, as an example, so they can potentially hire, warrant a higher valuation. What we also more seen is, as I, as I previously mentioned now, direct marketing spend. If they can take 50,000 euros from Tapline, they know if they spend that on marketing, they have a direct return on investment on that, and that increases revenues X, Y, Z. We are also seeing it for to increase for recruitment from these SaaS clients. So there's been various use cases for these SaaS clients to take capital from Tapline. Some of them just want to take it now, especially in the market, to optimize their cash flow, while the current macro environment looks a little bit murky. 
And on your website, you you promise the payout within 48 hours. How exactly do you perform this onboarding process so that you can do the job that quickly? Yeah. Because, you know, onboarding processes is a very important thing for our for our association yeah. and for our members. Yes. How do you perform so, so well? Yeah. <laughs> As you correctly said, that's 48 hours after onboarding. So... When a SaaS client would like financing from Tapline, they sign up to our product. They link three data sources, their subscription management software they use, accounting software, and their bank account. And we extrapolate certain data that allows them to pledge subscriptions onto our platform. This literally takes five minutes. Thereafter, if we approve them for investment, we have a partnership with SumSub who actually do the KYC or KYB. And this can be completed also in two to three hours. So from our perspective, after the onboarding, the KYC and the approval of the investment contract, we can deploy capital in 48 hours. Okay. Okay. And you have just mentioned it. How do you exactly dock with a company? Do you use any API or anything like this? Yes. How exactly is this performed? No, sure. So there's three data sources I mentioned. One is a subscription management software. We have integrated now 12 subscription management softwares like Stripe, Chargebee onto our product. For the accounting software, we have actually partnered with Kodact in the UK, which is a top level accounting infrastructure, which allows us access to 55 accounting software solutions. So we didn't have to implement them ourselves. And then for, and it's all via API. And last but not least, we have a partnership with GoCardless, who recently bought Nordigan. And effectively, we have access to over 3000 bank accounts there. And we connect via API to, to all these three data sources. Okay, just to be clear at this point, this is your own API you defined or is it is it sources, external sources? It is a mixture between the two. Yeah, this is very interesting because, you know, everybody now talks in these times about how to how to professionally set up a brilliant API to really roll out this onboarding process as quickly as possible, you know. And it's good to hear that you guys have already tackled this. Right. Okay. And but once again, a little bit look at another stake, credit risk assessment. When it comes to APIs and things like this, how do you perform this? Because credit risk assessment actually is, by the end of the day, very important. Uh, yes, for your book, how do you do this? What are the details I need to know? <laughs> so first things first, Peter Grove and myself, I mean, Peter had 12 years in investment banking experience directly related to credit and risk management. We also managed this credit portfolio, as I mentioned to you, and I worked in credit and we worked through the financial crisis of 2008-02. So we have built an internal credit model that consists of 12 certain metrics that we feel we can have the confidence to underwrite credit to. So once we draw these data from the various subscription managers, accounting softwares via APIs, we extrapolate certain data into this credit model. And some of the KPIs that we look at are runway of the company, debt to asset ratio, as an example, liquidity, growth rates. And basically, we have built an internal credit model that actually has a scorecard that allows us to say, this company over here has low churn, has high growth rates. We can actually give them a discount of X percent on their future revenues. And we've actually in the internal credit model, so like triple A to, to tri triple D, et cetera. And this is, how we, this is how we underwrite the credits according to our internal score, scorecard. 
Okay, and can you give any numbers for both the requested volume and the actually paid out volume? Yes. So some clients come to us and they're looking for, let's say, 500,000 euros as an example. But what we say to them generally is, I mean, you can take 200,000 from our platform today in May as an example. Why don't you run your model, use the capital in order to grow your business and come back in June and then trade with Tapline again because you will have a better credit score then and in effect have a better discount rate against those future receivables. So we really trained one to, one to train the model in this direction though. And then two, also train the customers that they can actually literally trade month on month with Tapline to acquire capital. Instead of being at a standard loan, here's X amount of capital now for 16 months or 12 months as an example. And the total volume of the total requested volume compared to the, to the paid out sum, this would be interesting as well, because this would add some more color to your risk models. You know, so how many, for instance, the percentage would be interesting. How many companies do not go away with a credit from your side? Yes. And well, in terms of underwriting, we obviously don't underwrite everyone. This is natural. But in terms of deal flow, especially in the past eight to nine months, has been exponential, especially current, considering where the current market is on equity valuations, namely for startups, though. Right now, we have traded basically, I would say, between five to 10 percent of their total volume. Right now, from our perspective, too, considering where the macro environment is, and we'll probably discuss this later, is that um, we also want to invest rather slow, calibrate and test our risk model instead of just underwriting basically everything we get. So to answer your direct question, we let's say probably about 10% that we've underwritten of the total deal flow. Okay, okay, interesting. And what about the pricing? Can you say us anything about this? We have a facility from our debt investor where certain costs of capital and we invest at a higher rate than that cost of capital. So we effectively, we earn the net spread. And then on the other side, we also charge a 1% platform fee. So we actually have a dual revenue model. 1% platform fee, meaning if a client takes 100,000 euros from Tapline, they would be charged 1,000 euros. Okay. Ah, great. Okay. And can you anything uh, tell us about default rates? It's not exactly <laughs> matching with your business model, yeah. but you know this would be interesting as well. Yeah, I'm really happy to say that we have no delinquencies, no defaults to date, which is a... Um, good news. Good news, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's a subsequent to Peter and Al's credit experience and how we know how to underwrite credit. Of course, yes, again, in this market, we're relatively cautious in what we underwrite, but so far, so good. Very happy with the performance to date. Okay, yeah, that's really good news because uh, what we currently hear in from the European market is that yeah, quite a number of competitors do have problems with default rates and distressed loans. And yes, I think we will get to it later yeah. too. But yes, it is the current economic environment that causes this situation. But well, it's good to hear good that start. Tapline <laughs> is yes, absolutely really good news. It once again shows that digital lending is really an attractive, an attractive niche. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I have just mentioned competitors. This brings me to another very important point that I would like to discuss with you today. Compared with your competitors like Recap from Berlin, Carmen in France, Capchase in Spain, or Wayflyer in Ireland, just to mention some examples of a far bigger group of companies. 
Klein is having the lowest MRR figure. Just for the audience, MRR means monthly recurring revenue. So how do I have to understand this? So effectively, how we position ourselves in the market is that we are only focused on SaaS, software as a service companies, B2B and B2C business models, sector agnostic, HR SaaS, performance SaaS, we can underwrite it. A lot of the competitors that you have mentioned are generally focused on e-commerce. We do not underwrite e-commerce businesses. Why? Just because we want to focus on one vertical first. Yeah. We believe in the whole subscription economy. And this is a much bigger player outside of SaaS when we're looking at gaming, telecommunications, etc., all going towards the subscription model. We like to call it the subscriptionification of the economy, effectively, more renting. But we want to walk before we run, and this is why we start off with under with financing SaaS clients. Where we see ourselves with direct competitors, as you have mentioned, is that we invest in it a lot earlier stage. So from 100,000 euros, ARR. Some of our competitors are only investing from a lot more at a later stage, 500,000 euros plus ARR. And with that, one might argue there's a little bit more risk in that. But I think with Peter and I's experience over the past 15 years in underwriting loans and credit experience, both in institutional investment banks and as well as early stage lending, I think we, we are much better prepared in the position to, to invest early. So we are a German-focused company. We are German-headquartered. What is very focused on B2B and B2C SaaS, as mentioned, for us, our growth story is in the CEE, so Eastern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe. Right now, and we are live in Germany, Czech Republic, Poland as of last week, Monday. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we would be live in Estonia from the middle of June. And what we've seen in the market there, and a lot of, and maybe we will get to this point, a lot of our VCs are from the region. But when we, all, when we started with developing Tapline, we actually saw the need for alternative financing and specifically lending in the market. Why? For high growth startup companies, there's only venture capital equity or high net worth individuals and business angel loans or investments as an example. So anything in between, there's nothing there to support the growth of these companies. So we feel it's an untapped market. Uh, we would like to have first move advantage in this market. And this is where we see our growth story. Okay, okay. So it is not really a horse race, and it is there. There are different horse races, and yes. uh, you are doing your own race in your extra niche. Yeah, exactly this, that. Okay, exactly. okay. Ah, that's interesting. Okay, and this is a fundamental question now that I have to ask you, yeah. and I think I have I, I asked this question already. My last two, three, four guests. You know, we have this interest rate change initiated by the European Central Bank. How does this influence this niche and how does it especially influence your business model? What do you see? Yes, it's, a, it's an interesting environment, right, which we have lived through before. Right now, of course, when there are interest rates increases via the ECB, Taplan's cost of capital increases. This is the one aspect. Two, we pass that cost of capital or that increase onto our clients' firm. However, with that said, and where the market is today, and I'm talking about SaaS clients in and itself early stage, is that venture capital equity right now is also not the, the appetite of some startups because valuations have come off 50, 60% as an example in the past year. So founders need to grow in some shape or form. So do you look at venture capital equity, which could be expensive on the dilution wise? Or two, do you look at a tapline like solution for the next six or 12 months even with these increase in interest rates, and use that capital in order to grow your business. 
So even today, and maybe there is maybe another 50 basis points in the market from the ECB this year, I still there is still a lot of demand for our product from early stage companies though. And which is great because hopefully we come out of this interest rate increase cycle towards maybe Q1, Q2 next year. I don't have the crystal ball and we need to see how the macroeconomic environment plays out. But even when the interest rates decrease, we can then still pass that cost onto or that decrease onto our SaaS clients though. Oddly enough, in a high interest rate environment, it's still very exciting for Tapline's business model from a product perspective for SaaS clients. Okay. By the way, we will come back to the crystal ball later on. It's <laughs> okay. always my very last question. Okay, let's look on the investor side. Digital lending always consists of investors and lenders. And yes, let's shed a little bit light on this. You backed 31.7 million euros in pre-seed funding. Yes. How is this apportioned between shares and financing means for your loans business? Sure. The 13 million euros comes from its public knowledge of Fasanara Capital. They are a, based in the UK, they are a hedge fund and technology platform with over $4 billion in assets under management and have funded multiple lenders or like ourselves, if you would like to call it, with over 100 million euros mandates. So the 13 million euros comes from them. The 1.7 million euros comes from a combination of venture capital investors and strategic angels that have invested and obviously believe in, in the Tapline business model. And the 1.7 million euros we use for OPEC spend and, and contributions towards our investments. Okay, so for your business, your main source is Fasanara Capital. For on the, the debt side. On the debt side for the moment. Okay, and do you have any plans to... Uh, to enlarge uh, this field of, of funders or do you have any plans, for instance, uh, to set up a SPV where you, by the end, you know, securitize, for instance, or tokenize um, things? I would say for the next, probably up until the end of 2024, it depends on how quick we deploy the 13 million euro facility, but we would stay with Fasonora as an example we can also approach Fasanara and behind that there's a lot more capital to to find Tapline's business though. If potentially there's no more appetite into the future, we can look at other institutional investors who would who we actually spoke to many of, or many to rather, prior to taking on Fasanara capital that can provide the debt to Tapline. And is there any skin in the game by Tapline when it comes? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, especially at this early stage. We have a specific advance rate from Fasanara Capital and Tapline has a first loss piece contribution towards a junior note. So for every investment that we underwrite, Tapline actually puts capital in, i.e. skin in the game. So to incentivize us naturally to underwrite good credit then too. Some of this 1.7 million euros that we spoke of right now, we also use for investing. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. This was a very interesting journey over your over your business. And this brings me to my very last one. And this is the crystal ball question. What's up with the future landscape of digital lending in Europe? And we have already heard a little bit from you as yeah. regards the interest rate change by the European Central Bank. Yeah. So what is your view when it comes to the future? <laughs> the infamous crystal ball question. I mean, I think favorable regulation landscape will drive the German economy. I think as we develop now and we get into new technologies such as blockchain and better finance, this talk of generative AI, I think it really becomes key 
that founders are constantly astute of regulatory changes and implement best practices that are aligned with regulation. That is the first aspect then. Are you willing to do that as a smaller digital lender or big banks probably have to do that then too? With that said, I do feel that the the digital lending in Germany will grow at an exponential rate up until 2030 and double digit compound annual growth rate. And why I see that, and I'm talking specifically from Tapline's perspective, is that there is a new found appetite for lending in Germany. Maybe I can go out in Limia and maybe there was always a negative connotation towards debt in Germany. However, what we are seeing right now, especially as founders have been forced to look for alternative financing solutions like a Tapline and some of the other competitors though, but focusing on Germany now, we see a lot of uptake in these clients wanting to take financing from digital lenders where banks just can't underwrite at an early stage though. So I really do feel in this early stage SME type market that there's a lot of growth that will be happening into, into 2013. I think what is also very interesting, just quickly, lastly, is on the technology front, I'm really excited by blockchain technologies. I think obviously these decentralized ledgers where you can actually have track payments as well as doing loans with various peer-to-peer systems. I think this will become very interesting where, you know, maybe we can't deploy in 48 hours, but we will be able to deploy in four hours as an example in the future. So I think there's a lot of upside, but it all starts with regulation and compliance and our banks, digital lenders willing to walk the walk when they go through and really abide, reconsider and actually implement these news regulations that are coming out year on year as new technologies start to develop. Yeah, just one question and one one remark. One yeah. remark on the second item you mentioned. We now have this proposal, or yeah, it's not a proposal. This is a European talk. We have this draft, draft law of the German government on Zukunftsfinanzierungsgesetz, which, which exactly tackles the things you have mentioned. And it's about strengthening the startup sector and the financing and to really support the further development by finding the right funding and i believe too that we are a part of this of this journey and, and this encompasses you and your, your niche because we need it and, and this is especially true as we have to take into account that basel 3 will limit future businesses or yeah loan loans business by banks and the key question is who jumps into it and this is where i personally see digital lending sector as the one who may be the one to fund uh, these these startups and scale-ups. Yeah. No, I think it's an exciting initiative. I think access to capital markets as well for early stage companies is so key. So another form of alternative financing that can support founders and SMEs is, is overall very positive though. So looking forward to the outcomes of that. Next year, they said they would like to implement it, right? 2024? Yes. Well, yes. On the, on, I think it was a summer, the summer reception of, of the startup association only a couple of weeks ago. There, the chancellor called out that he would expect the, the government draft by, by the end of June, meaning before the vacation of the parliament. And this would mean that we would have, that we have the discussion in parliament in the course of the second half of the year, meaning that, yes, you're true, that it may come into effect by the beginning or in the course 
of the first half of 2024. I think it would be a very important signal for, totally. for the German yeah. startup and scale-up uh, industry, and yeah. which is actually a, a major part of, of uh, digital lending. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah. And yeah. No, exciting times. Like looking forward to it. any innovation that can help scale, you know, bring the ecosystem together is key. And yeah, as I already said, looking forward to the implementation thereof next year. Yes, we. I think we can say we all welcome this initiative of course. very much. Um, then one question as regards uh, the very beginning of your crystal ball journey. <laughs> and uh, it's about regulation. And uh, it's just additional question on what you have mentioned before. How are you regulated and what is your perspective to be a little bit more in the details? Where do you see the limitations perhaps? Where do you see frictions? What do you expect when it's in detail, when it comes to regulation? I think from our perspective, and we touched on our RPA agreement that we have structured. So just to go back to the details with Fasanara, our investor, we have set up a securitization vehicle in Luxembourg. Effectively, as I mentioned to you now, we subscribe to the junior note, they provide the senior note, right? Yeah. yeah. We have partnered with Aon and Vadino Bank to actually they offer front-end services as well as banking services um, in order to implement our model in Germany and as in Czech Republic and Poland and Estonia, as mentioned. The governing contract for that actually fits under commercial law. And this is this receivables purchase and assignment agreement, which is actually a purchase of end clients' receivables. It does not look like a pure loan contract, which is a Gewerbe 34C, I think it is the regulation. Okay, I got that. My German's not too bad. <laughs> and so, so this is what we have structured now from that perspective. We keep in touch via our legal counsel every six months with the BaFin just to make sure that everything is aligned in, in, in accordance with potential new updates that could impact our business model. So this is how we keep check from that perspective and how we actually structured. Okay. And now as regards the specific expectations, as, as regards regulation, what would your expectations be? I come back to your crystal ball comments on this. Okay. I think the, around the regulation would be more around new technologies and how you implement that. And this is basically looking at blockchain technologies, securitization, tokenization you previously mentioned. How would that actually impact when you underwrite a loan? Are there, regular, are there regularity hurdles that are still to come up that could actually impact your business if I wanted to do tokenization with my loans as an example? With, as, as an example. So um, I think with at the forefront in the development of technologies, blockchain, generative AI, how does that actually work in loan processing as an example? Now, there's some very interesting companies in the US that are looking at this right now that obviously all in all will have an impact and, as, and a legal contract as to how you underwrite credit. So I think the technology that is accepted and the more business models that come with these types of technologies, so a regulation. And then it becomes that question is that, you know, as the regulation is approved, you constantly then can implement your business model going forward compared to what it was maybe two years ago, as you want to adopt more of these technologies. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Now I've forgotten it better. <laughs> Okay, now this is the end of our podcast. Thank you very much, Dean, for your time. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. It's great being part of the Digital Lending Association and looking forward to more engagements and stakeholdership. Thank you very much, Konstantin. Thank you. Yes, and thank you everyone for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on LinkedIn so that you will never miss our podcasts. Stay safe and sound and see you soon.